0: And please open your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Next term we'll be starting a what I think will be a, a lengthy series in the book of Revelation. Really looking forward to spending most of the, the second half of the year on the book of Revelation. And today we have a one-off sermon from 1 Thessalonians 5. Next week, Michael Risk will be preaching to us, looking forward to that. And today we're looking at the, the subject of friendship from 1 Thessalonians 5. I'd love for you to have your Bibles open in front of you so that you can follow along. It's so important that you see the words for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. See what God's word is saying for yourself. And a special welcome to visitors we have with us today. Very welcome, and we hope you'll stay behind afterwards for a cup of coffee and chance for us to get Well, in the olden days, people made a point of not oiling their, their front gate, the front gate at the front of the house, and the reason for that was that, that when you heard the gate creak, that you knew that you had a visitor, and you had that that moment between the gate creaking and the person coming to the front door. To collect yourself for the visitor, and our grandmothers prided, prided themselves on being able to get a batch of scones into the oven uh, between hearing the creak of the gate and on the knock on the front door. I don't know if any other anyone had a grandmother like that who prided themselves on that that skill. When's the last time that you received an unplanned visit from a friend? When's the last time? A friend just came and knocked on your door, unannounced. When's the last time you made an unannounced visit? Where you just went to a friend's house and just knocked on the door to say hello and to have a cup of tea and a conversation. Would you want someone to turn up unannounced? That's the question. Would Would you want a friend to actually do that? And perhaps a harder question to ask. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that you would want to visit? Or that you know would want to to visit you at any time? Last year, the Australian Psychological Society surveyed over 1,600 Australians on the subject of loneliness. And they found that one in four Australians don't feel that they have a lot in common. They found that one in four Australians experience significant social difficulty and anxiety. They found that three in ten Australians don't feel that they have a group of friends. They found that 55% of Australians feel that they lack companionship. And that although that 55%, 46% are seniors, and 62% people. and this rings true to me. Does it ring true to you? Rings true to me. This fits the the loneliness and isolation that I think I see in our society, in our own city. And the question I have is this: Have we lost the art of being friends? Have we lost the art of being friends? Has urbanisation crippled our sense of community? Are we over-shielding our children from going out and playing and and making friends? Are our screens killing our ability to relate face-to-face? Even more than that, are they killing our ability to relate voice-to-voice? Because I'm told now that, that young people uh, don't even actually use the telephone to talk to each other. That it's considered to be a little bit of an impertinence to just phone someone out of the blue. So if you think that turning up unannounced might be an impertinence, now, apparently, just being called is seen in that, that same kind of light. And there's very little in voice-to-voice human communication going on. are we being sucked into vicious circles of friendlessness. Because I don't have friends, I don't know how to be a friend. And because I don't know how to be a friend, I don't know how to make friends. And because I don't know how to make friends, I don't have friends. and, and, And so on. Worse than this, I think we are all encountering a lot more unfriendliness and are being cruelly abused on social media. And they're suffering, not just from a lack of friends, but from positive anger and abuse and tearing down. Well, there's only one way to break this vicious circle of friendlessness. And it's not by waiting for friends to drop from the sky. They're not going to. It will only be broken by learning to be friends with one another. That's the only way we're going to break this cycle of friendlessness, is to learn to be friends to one another. And in this passage that we have in front of us, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul shows us, now I'll tell you what he doesn't show us first, he doesn't show us how to be a nice person. It's not seven steps on how to be a nice person. It is seven steps on how to be a friend. How to be a friend. And it's much better to be a friend than simply a nice person. So let's look here at 1 Thessalonians 5 and I'll look at verse 13. The second half of verse 13. Let me pray. Heavenly Father. We are desperate to hear your voice today. We come with open hands and hearts. Please speak to us. Please change our hearts and our thinking and our lives by what your word says, by the power of your word. May the Holy Spirit work powerfully in us today through the word. Amen. So we're looking here at what the Apostle Paul Teaches us seven steps, seven ways to be a friend. We're going to hear Paul teaching us how to be real friends with each other. And the first thing he says there in verse 13 is live in peace with one another. Live in peace with one another. Now you only have to, you only tell people to be at peace with one another who are in a state of strife, a state of conflict, a state of war. And learning to be a friend means, first of all, recognising this tendency to strife that we have with one another. I, I hope you follow me that. You don't tell two people at peace if there's not a tendency to be at war and we have to recognize this tendency. Remember that the, the first two people who were born on this planet, what were their names? The very first two people who were born. A friend? Well, you have to recognise that there is a tendency to strife and conflict. And you need not to be put off by that, but to be determined, as Paul says, to live in peace with one another. That's the first thing, the first step of seven. Be the peacemaker. Secondly, be the brave Counselor. Paul says there in verse 14, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. And I can tell you that, that as, as uh, kids, as teenagers, all the injuries that, that, that tended to occur when we were on camping trips or whatever, happened when we were getting bored. It's when we started getting bored and idle. That's when we started uh, to get on each other's nerves, and nerves getting on each other's nerves led to throwing rocks at each other, and uh, many of the scars that I bear occurred in those times of, of idleness. Idleness is, is, does breed conflict. It does not But when Paul talks here about idleness and disruptiveness, he's talking about someone who is out of step, someone who is going their own way without discipline and restraint. That's what that phrase idle and disruptive means. It means someone who's going their own way without discipline or restraint. It's not talking so much about laziness, it's talking about the mistakes a person makes from poor judgment and blind passion. And here's the thing. When someone is making bad decisions, a friend will warn that person. A friend will speak up. A friend will admonish. And just saying that word, admonish, makes me realise how little we do it, because we we might not even know what it means, right? Admonish means to warn, to instruct, to get get alongside someone and to say, hey, you're not going the right way. But a friend will do that. A friend will give instruction and counsel to a person that they think is going the wrong way, going down the wrong path. Now, that takes what? Sometimes we might have the courage to speak to a friend, but do we have the energy? You've got to sum up energy, don't you, to, to have those hard conversations. Because you know the risk of being misunderstood, of hurting, or angering your friend. You know that you risk the friendship itself. But think of the converts. You see your friend making bad decisions, you see them going down the wrong path. If you say nothing? You don't summon up the courage and the energy to say anything? That's not being a friend, is it? That's not being a friend. And the great Augustine said, Do not imagine that you love your son when you don't discipline him, or that you love your friend when you don't rebuke him. This is not love, but mere feebleness." Let love be fervent, correct, and to amend. If you want to be a friend, warn those who are hurting themselves. A friend will do that. Thirdly, be the encourager. Be the encourager. Look there in the middle of verse 14. Encourage the disheartening. Translated, encourage the faint hearted. And when I think of faint hearted, I think of my brother's dog, Jake. And Jake is a greyhound. And I always thought that greyhounds were like these confident, vicious uh, beasts because when we saw them on the street, they were always wearing muzzles. And I'd always had this fear of greyhounds. And then I met Jake, and you even look at Jake and his tail goes between his legs and he puts his head down as though you're attacking him just by looking at him he's such a, a faint-hearted preacher, he's so gentle and dispirited and we know people like this don't we don't think We know people. The people around us who are like this and who knows why they are dispirited and faint-hearted and discouraged maybe they've failed at in education, or well, they feel that they've failed in their relationships. They feel worthless. They look to the future and it looks bleak, and so they, they stop looking at the future altogether. It's too painful to look at the future. You know the kind of people I'm talking about. And their only comfort is eating too much. In the world of death, so that third beer to know that our ability to help the disheartened and the dispirited is quite extraordinary. It's quite amazing the ability we have to help those who are discouraged and disheartened. We really do have the means to help them and we know this because we have experienced it. I know I have and I hope, I hope you can say that you have as well. That time when you felt disciples, think back, who helped you? How did they help you? Wasn't it that, that, that person who got alongside you, who liked you, who valued what you do in the home, in the church, at work, at school, someone who gave you a gift? Someone who gave you practical help, Someone who, who loved you and listened to you. Didn't that, didn't that encourage you and lift you out of that, that, that state of dis- discouragement and being disheartened? You want to be a friend? Well, Paul says here that we must encourage the disheartened, encourage the faint of Fourthly, the Apostle Paul says here, help the weak, be the help, help the weak. The weak are those who, in the original meaning, were is someone who is suffering from some kind of illness or limitation, some kind of incapacity. They're, they're too tired, they're too weak to look after themselves, their their families, too weak to protect themselves from harm, from bullies, weak perhaps in, in, in their moral fibre, and an easy prey to sexual and other temptations. They might know what they need to do, but they're too weak to do that. It's the, that's, that's the kind of person Paul's talking about here when he says, Help the weak. And this word help, it means. To have a strong attachment to someone, so it's not just just about providing help from a distance, but it's about having a strong attachment to someone. It's about getting alongside that weak person and taking their weight and walking beside them and not letting go of them. This is what Paul is talking about here when he talks about helping the weak. Do you do that? Will you do that as a friend? Fifthly, be the patient one. And Paul says there uh, at the end of verse 14, be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. The Apostle James said, look at how the farmer, waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. It's the same word that Paul uses. So a farmer uh, who, who sows the field doesn't expect instant results. He's patient. He sows the seed and he waits patiently for that seed to germinate and for the crop to come. And that's what a friend will be like. A friend will be patient. A friend won't be looking for instant change, instant results, instant anything, but will have that patience as they get alongside their friend and try to help them. And so you might have been, as Paul has urged us, but you might have been the peacemaker. You might have been the brave counsellor. You might have been encouraging your friend. You might have been getting alongside your friend and helping them the way Paul urges us to, and you're not seeing anything. You're not getting anything back. You're not seeing any results. Well, that's why Paul says, we need to be patient. A friend doesn't give up. A friend doesn't walk away just because what they're doing doesn't seem to be working. We need to have this patience, Paul says, with everyone, and when we are patient, we will be the next thing. We will be, we will be forgiving. And on verse 15 and the 16 that Paul teaches us about being a friend. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other. So we'll just focusing on that first phrase there. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. I think here of, and I've, seen, I've seen this, in these, these mother dogs, and they've got lots of puppies, eight puppies, ten puppies, and the puppies are biting on mum's ear. And biting your mum's tail and trying to get mum's milk and trying to get mum's attention. And I'm always struck by how patient these mother dogs seem to be, with all their little um, puppies trying to get at them, even hurting them, biting them. They're so no patient. Is that you? Is that you? Or are you more like the hornet's nest? and you give it a bit of a prod and then you've got to run, don't you? You've got to run because you have prodded the hornet's nest and you know that they're going to come flying out to, to, to sting you and to hurt you. And Paul says, if we're going to be a friend we need to be like the mother dog, not like the, the hornet's nest. We need to be make sure that nobody pays back long for wrong. No friendship will survive this forgiving attitude, it's the ter- determination to not respond, to hurt, to sting the other person when we feel ourselves hurt and stubborn. And finally, the seventh point that Paul makes here is that if we're going to be a friend then we must be relentlessly and universally Find. Always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else, says the Apostle Paul. And that's there at the end of verse 15. Always strive. This is a very interesting word, by the way. This is a word that means to consume. This is a word that means to hunt down. In fact, in the New Testament, it's the word that is sometimes translated Persecute It's the same word. When Paul says always strive to do what is good, it's the same word that in other parts of the New Testament is translated persecute. It's about hunting something down with determination. Always strive to do what is good for each other. And the word good, it's the Greek word agathos, if you're interested in, in, in... the original words of the New Testament, from which we get the name Agatha. And this word Agathos," it, it refers to something useful, something beneficial, something that has a high standard of quality. And when I read those words, a high standard of quality, I, I'm thinking of, of a Rolls-Royce, for example, made, handmade, to a high standard. I'm thinking of a book like The Lord of the Rings. They say that Enid Blyton used to write... There was one year where she wrote 50 books in one year. She could churn out a book a week. Lord of the Rings. Tolkien started that when he was 45. He didn't finish it until he was 57. And he didn't publish it until he was 63. So it took him some 18 years between starting it and publishing it, and that's because he was a perfectionist, and that's because he wanted it to be exactly right. He wanted it to be of a very high quality. He had no interest in just churning out books to make money. He wanted to make a gem. And Paul says here, always strive to do what is good. In other words, what is best for the other person? What's the best possible thing I could do for others? Strive to do that, says the Apostle Paul. Well, there we are. Seven steps to being a friend. I hope you followed them. Be the peacemaker. Be the brave counsellor. Be the encourager. The helper. The patient one. Be forgiving. And be relentlessly and universally kind. Simple, right? Off you go. Just go and do that, right? I'll just do those seven steps and I'll be a wonderful friend. And we know, don't we, that if we now just just, just turn from God's word and say, right, I'm just going to do this, it's going to be like walking up the downward escalator. You'll be taking lots of steps You won't be getting anywhere and you'll just get very tired. And so we know that nothing is that simple. There's no such thing as seven steps to you know, whenever I see a book that says eight steps to success, or you know, you 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 know that it's just toilet paper, just by the a title like that, don't you? Or ten steps to to achieving this or that. You know it's it's going to be rubbish. Because we know that you, just, you, you can't just change your behaviour and your ways simply by following simple steps like that. And as Christians, we know that if we're going to be a true friend, and if you're a Christian, I hope that you will want to be good friends to those around you. That the kinds of friendship that Paul describes here in 1 Thessalonians 5 can only be made in Jesus Christ. They can only be made in Jesus Christ. Please turn with me to John 15. John 15, verse 12. My command is this, says Jesus. Love each other. How? As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Here Jesus says that we can be his friends. His friends. That he will be our friend. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. And we know for certain that those seven things that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5, that Paul learned those from Jesus. That Paul knew that that's how Jesus had treated him. Jesus called Paul his friend and Paul knew that Jesus had been the peacemaker. That Jesus had been his counsellor, his bold counsellor, his wise counsellor, that Jesus had encouraged him. Paul had been helped by Jesus. Jesus had got alongside him and taken his weight and helped him along and was a relentless friend to Paul. Jesus had been patient with Paul. Paul knew all about the patience of Jesus because for years Paul had persecuted Jesus' church and by persecuting Jesus' church he'd been persecuting Jesus himself. Paul knew the forgiveness of Christ. He knew the kindness of Jesus. Paul knew what Jesus meant when he said, Love each other as I have loved you. Do you want to be a good friend? The first thing, don't don't get on that downward escalator. Don't turn from here. Okay, I've got to follow those seven steps. No. The first thing is to be a friend of Christ. The first thing is to receive Jesus' love and patience and friendship. That's the first step. We can only be a Christ-like friend if Christ has been our friend and we have experienced that kind of love, the kinds of things that Paul talks about there. We can only love others when we ourselves have been loved by the Son of God and have been counselled by him, and encouraged by him, and helped by him, when we have experienced his patience, then we will want to be patient with others. When we have been forgiven by him, we will want to forgive others. When we received his kindness and his goodness, we will want to share that same kindness and goodness to others. And so I finish by saying... Do you want to be a good friend? Be befriended by Jesus. Receive his love. And then that will overflow to those around you. I'd like you to think of one person. Think of one person that you, would, you think you should be a better friend to. Or to make a friendship. with, Think of one person. And God does not say to you, go and be nice to that person. Although it's good to be nice. It's good to be kind. But he's saying, how will you be the peacemaker in that relationship? Having received God's peace, how will you be the peacemaker? Having received God's counsel, how will you be a bold and wise counsellor for that one person. Think of that one person. As you have been encouraged, how will you encourage that person? As you have been helped by Christ, how will you bring that same Christ-like help to that one person? As Jesus has been patient and forgiving with you, how will you show patience? and forgiveness to that person. And as Jesus has been kind and good to you, how will you make every effort to show that same kindness and goodness to them? Let's join together now and pray, and we'll pray that God will help us in this. Lord Jesus, we do thank you and praise you that that you have been our friend. And it's astonishing to think that the creator of the universe wants to be our friend. And we thank you that you are such a good friend to us. You've been so patient and forgiving with us. And Lord Jesus, we, we pray that you might help us to be the same kind of friends to those around us. Fill us with your spirit of love and forgiveness. And we pray, Father, that your church here at Cornerstone will be a church of friends, of Christ-like friendship, and we pray that this friendship will spill over into the community. Help us, Father, please to love others as we ourselves have been loved. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.